really hard to figure out what the truth is. There's always so many sides to the story. How can I even know if what I think is true is true? Maybe the best I can do is seek authenticity. Welcome to Consciously, a podcast focused on honest conversation by regular people and for regular people seeking spiritual growth. Hey Consciously, it's Menachem. I am really excited to introduce to you the next episode in our series, Spiritual Gangsters, my friend Eitan Katz. Who's Eitan Katz? Eitan is a member of an illustrious musical family. He not only loves music, but is incredibly talented as well. Eitan spent his childhood moving back and forth between Los Angeles and Israel and was exposed to a wide variety of music from his earliest days. During his high school years, Eitan found himself gravitating towards the music of the famed Jewish folk singer, storyteller, and spiritual leader to thousands, Rav Shlomo Karbach. This connection prompted him to take up the guitar, an instrument that instantly felt like it belonged in his hands. By age 16, Eitan had written his first original song, the precursor to many heartfelt compositions that brought the words of Jewish prayer and scripture to life in unprecedented ways. Eitan has released a total of eight albums, some in collaboration with members of his family, his father and his brother Shlomo Katz, others solo albums, and others featuring the music of Shlomo Kaubach. Eitan travels throughout the United States, spending weekends in different Jewish communities, giving encouragement and inspiration, and also heads a highly sought-after wedding orchestra. Eitan is hard at work on his next album, Pure Simcha. Aside from his musical career, Eitan is also a student scholar and has continued to learn in yeshiva throughout his career. Eitan credits his learning for being the inspiration for his music. Eitan currently learns at Yeshiva Sharyashiv. He and his wife Malki reside in Farakaway, New York, with their five beautiful children. So here's my friend Eitan Katz. Hey, Consciously family. So yeah, yeah so you just heard uh, we have a legitimate, a real life celebrity in, in studio. The one and only, the famous Eitan Katz, mm-hmm. international recording artist. Um, <laughs> he came by anyway, and then I just uh, grabbed him and I said, oh, I'm going to interview you. And, uh, and he agreed. So I'm really thankful for that. And of course, there's completely um, appropriate social distancing, of course. Uh, but uh, but it is fun to have you here in person. So uh, <laughs> I'm inspired by your honesty. Like this is a podcast. You don't have to tell. I don't have to tell anyone anything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I want them to get the feel for what's going uh, on. Okay. You know, we're sitting here in front of my computer. I'm so used to having everybody in, in the screen, and, and meanwhile, you're here in person. Yeah. Um, you know, I recently played at an event like for the first time in like three, four months in front of people. Yeah. And I, all of, all of like the fears, anxieties of playing in front of people, watching them, like, you know, interested, not interested, like it came back, it came back. And I was like, oh, <laughs> please go back to zoom, go back to zoom. No. Not like those days when you were doing uh, Rosh Hashanah, uh, I'm sorry, Rosh Chodesh, um, Hala yeah. in the white shul by yourself. <laughs> was so bizarre. I wish somebody would have taken a picture of what was going on. It's just bizarre i can't even describe it how, how long ago does that feel it feels like forever forever ago like if someone like, told you like now like how are we going to get you together in the white shul and we'll just like we'll live stream you and everyone will like get to hear you'll just have them by yourself it'll be all okay <laughs> <laughs> that just seemed normal at the time it seemed so normal and it was hard though 
it was hard because it's it's like like most of the not most I mean almost all of the energy that comes forward during during davening especially as a chazan is like you know the energy you get from the crowd right and it's like you're here and you realize by the way you're davening hala for more people than you ever davened in your life right right you've never davened for two thousand people that's amazing. The most you've done was one Shabbos where they took this grand synagogue and they packed in like 1,300 people. And it was like once, no, 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 you literally see there's 2,000 families even. So it's like even more than that. And it's like, huh, okay. And you're, and you're asking me to do this all by myself in front of two iPads. All and, of my own know, energy. In front of two iPads. Okay, let's, let's do it. Let's do it. Okay, so, so uh, people know you. It's funny because you talk to people that are performing artists, artists, people get to know you on many different levels. And I know you, beside, aside from you performing as a, as a musician and you leading people as a chazan, you're also a teacher. So you're, you're constantly engaging people. And, but one of the things I love about this um, format of interview is that I, I really am driving and trying to give people an opportunity to let people in a little bit on the premius, but not like in the sense of like, getting getting dirt or getting you to say something that's like super personal. It's not even personal, right? Because there's a separation between that which is at the interior of a person and that which is kind of private and personal for a person. So really we're trying to like capture a little bit of the panemius of, of Eitan Katz, of you as a person, as you as a musician, as you as a performer and a leader and, and in, per someone who inspires somebody and just a knucklehead from Farakway, yes. right? So, uh, so that's know, kind son, of... My son had a, had a play date. He's, he's four years old and, yeah. and his friend came over and he said, where's, where's Eitan Katz? Where's Eitan Katz? <laughs> and my son looked at him and said, that's not his name. His name is Abba. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, you go. <laughs> So I think it was really, uh, I think it was a real turning point in our friendship when you were, you came over the house once and, and my daughter came in and said, oh, hey, Eitan, and then just walked away as if it was nothing. Yeah. <laughs> that doesn't usually happen. No. But, uh... With the seminary girls, not at all. No, it's like, uh, that's your big audience. Okay. So background info. So the first, there's seven questions in this, in this format for those of you who have not heard it before. And, um, uh, there's the first question is just to kind of get a little bit of background info uh, for anyone who doesn't know, and uh, and then we're going to spend a little bit of time getting to know you on a PME level, and then practically speaking, um, to really try to tease out some practical suggestions uh, that you utilize in your journey, your spiritual journey as a person who's trying to like live in line with your understanding of God's will for you. So that's kind of the format of the interview. So we have on a very you know, we don't have to spend a lot. We don't want like to spend a lot of time on this because we don't want to get lost in the 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 osios, the letters of somebody's life. We want to really get into the the panini. But but who are you? Who's Eitan Katz? Where are you from? How'd you end up in Farakway? Well, I well, I guess I'll answer the easy one, the easy <laughs> the easier of those uh, few questions first. Um, I, mo I moved to Farakway in two thousand and eight. I was I grew up in Los Angeles originally, and then we moved to Israel as a kid. Um, my family made Aliyah in 1989 when I was uh, six, six years old, seven years old. And then we came back to America, to Los Angeles, and I graduated high school out of Eula, Los Angeles. And um, went to Israel, and then I spent six years in Silver Spring, Maryland, learning in yeshiva there. That's where I got married. My wife's from Brooklyn, but we lived in uh, there. And then as the music opportunities became more frequent, 
and I found myself falling asleep on the turnpike more often, I was like, all right, I think it's time to, it's time to move. And like being from Los Angeles and then living in Maryland, New York is like evil. <laughs> it's like, you don't want to be in New York. No offense to anybody. Scary, scary. It's scary. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. It's man, like us, us, us out of towners who come here, you know, we got to like create it's because it's just scary, but we make it evil, then it's okay. We don't have to feel okay, as bad okay, about fine. ourselves. Yeah, yeah. So it's not in my head, it was evil, intimidating, <laughs> intimidating. <laughs> and, and, uh, and like my wife being from Brooklyn, and she's like, you know, the farthest thing from Brooklyn as far as her, you know, personality and everything. She like, I guess part of the Ksuba, it said in the Ksuba, you will never take me to New York, basically. You know, and <laughs> I had to like, you know, kind of renegotiate it. And Farakaway seemed like, a, more like Farakaway and Shoyashev, where I spent many years, seemed like, a, you know, a really solid, good community for us. And we've been living there pretty much ever since for the past 12, 11, 12 years, besides a little stint in Eretz Yisrael. But... Uh, Farakaway, you know, is uh, is that so? As far as like who's Eitan Katz, like it's a complicated question, Menachem. Uh, yeah, yeah, it's because the real I, I suspect that this interview really is who's Eitan, right? And yeah. Eitan Katz is like almost like I don't, I don't even know, like that's like a website, it's like a brand a little bit, it's a brand, and yeah, I yeah. know what I'm very, I'm very proud to be the CEO and the owner, right? But like the Part of my journey, as I'm sure you know, you've, you've heard many times, and this, this, the concept of this interview is to see like, where does me, you know, so that's you know, play out in the Eitan. Who's Eitan Katz? Eitan Katz is a, a, he's a singer, he's a musician, he's a guitarist, he's a, he's a, I'll, I'll even call him a mashpia. He's he's good stuff and whatever it is. Right. I know him. He's, he's, he means well. He's a good guy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Okay, so so part of the idea is to get person. You know, there's a there's a there's a concept in uh, in Panimius of Olam Shana Nefesh, right? The soul, uh, time, and space. So that's partially kind of where these questions play out. I've never acknowledged that like directly in an interview, but you know, okay. with my friend. So so within the context of space, within the context of Olam. Um, I asked you to think about, so we try to get to know you at those, on, according to, on, on those three planes, so, uh, of time, space, and soul. So, on the plane of space, I asked you to think about, and, and these are all questions, for those of you who haven't heard this before, these are all questions, Ethan got the questions before, and he had time to think about it, and stress, and, and uh, you know, and all sorts of other stuff. So, but, uh, but nonetheless, he's not shooting from the cuff. So I asked you to think about, like, what is a, a place in the world, a favorite place in the world, a place where you feel most yourself, where you feel kind of most connected? And, and I always use it as, as an example, because I think in some ways for observant Orthodox Jews, or really any Jew, you go to the Kotel and it's uh, the Western Wall and it's just unbelievable. You just get a certain feeling there that you can't really describe. And I'm sure all people have their their place. So, But if you were going to describe you know, the old city of Jerusalem or the Kotel, it would be kind of more like, well, what, which, which rock, which space and why? And what's so significant about that? Yeah. So I did get these questions before and it's like, I'm at first I was like, oh no, it's probably so much cooler if it's just like on the spot and everything. But no, no, I think it's like a wonderful thing that you actually get time to think about this and come up with a, the answer that really reflects mostly what's in your heart. And the answer that I'm going to give is something that on the, I guess at first glance seems kind of like, you know, like, oh, like it's obvious. 
you know, not, not so impressive, not so like, oh my gosh, like on a rock somewhere in the whatever. Right. Everybody struggles with that. I know. They feel like their answer has to be. I know, but I'm I'm, I'm going to give you the answer that that's that sh- I guess struck, you know, nice and deep and sincere with me, which is Friday night by my Shabbos table, mm. at by my Shabbos table, with the kids, half of them by the table, half of them on the floor playing. And like the reason why is because I feel like the Shabbos table is so important to me and me it means so much on so many different levels um the family the way the family is the family's together at the table or in the living room or just like a certain energy sometimes i like having guests most times i don't like having guests because i feel like it's it's a time where i just don't have to be anybody but like a father with his children and his wife mm. by the Shabbos table, and, and there's such a there's a there's a family component to it. There's a spiritual component to it. What Shabbos means to us, and like how how um, how you know the more a person like learns about the holiness of Shabbos, and the more a person puts into Shabbos, that's what they get out of it. And I find there's something just so natural for the Jewish family to have that time by the Shabbos table. And it really is, you know, part of my profession over the years has been going away for Shabbos. And I've, and I've grown to, to just try to get out of those commitments as much as possible, unless they're paying an absurd amount of money. It's kind of like the deal I made with Hashem. Like, I'm going to charge an absurd amount of money, and most of the people will say no, but if they say yes, that means you want me to go. Because like I really don't want to be anywhere. I, at first, it's exciting going away. It's fun, hotels, and you know, get to dive. And I love, I love going to other communities to inspire. But as my kids get older, and as my kids get more comfortable to be a part of the Shabbos table, and I don't mean they have to sit there with Divrei Torah, and it's nice, but to sing everything, it's nice. But to me, there's something so like I know it's gonna sound funny, but like. There's something in our misora about the child like falling asleep on the floor, like next to the Shabbos table Friday night. Like my kids don't go to bed Friday night until they're until they pass out. Like I don't make them go to sleep at least the you know four or five and up kind of thing. I just find there's something so panemistic, so beautiful that you can't you can't really describe until you're there. That's kind of like the place that I feel like is even though it sounds stereotypical. It's like for me, it's like it's the opposite because like you're not on, you're not performing. You're not answering questions from anybody. You're, right. you're just Abba, you know, and, and that's... Like that story with your son. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And his friend. Yeah, yeah. Wow, and that's where you feel most Eitan. Yeah. As opposed to the brand. It's true. Or, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's not a brand because that's not your personality. No, no, just, I know, I know. No, but I, I don't want to give anyone the impression that that's like <laughs> under the table you're pretending. Like it's not at all. No, no, no I'm not pretending that. That's why I like you so much. That's why we're good <laughs> friends. It's just, uh, there's no pretentiousness to it. But, yeah. but, but it, it has taken... a a certain, you know, but I think anybody does. Any any exactly. great teacher has yeah. a certain kind of persona that they uh, embody yeah. when they're engaging their craft. Yeah. Versus who they are mm-hmm. with their family. Yeah. Who they are with their children. We have, like I'm saying, like we have like a like a niggin that the whole family sings in between, like like washing on the way back to the table. Like we have like you know line up for brachas you know for before kiddush everybody knows even like my two year old he knows when is his turn, and like I wish I wouldn't I wouldn't trade that in for anything, mm. 
even the even the absurd amount of money that someone gives me once a year to come and whatever it is i don't i still feel like i'm losing something you know that 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 so part of part of the blessing of corona i mean if you can even say that but like you know the this, the blessing that we have to see from it is that i just i didn't go away for so for a nice for four months i was home straight for shot which is wow. it never happens it's amazing cuz you you have some sense of the monetary value of a spiritual thing <laughs> that I don't think most people have a sense of. That's very, very interesting. Um, it, it like concretizes something that's probably very ethereal for other people. Yeah. Yeah. It's very powerful. Okay. So on the, um, on the plane of the spirit, I asked you to think about uh, a folk story, a mice, a, a spiritual proverb, something that best reflects you, something that you've drawn a spiritual guiding principle from that kind of, I guess that's helped you or encapsulates kind of who you are as a person or how you approach life. Yeah. So that, that didn't take me long to, to, to figure it out. Was, I, I, but the truth is, I don't remember when I heard this story, but I heard in the, maybe in the past, like in a sense, definitely my adult life, uh, which hasn't started yet, but you know, <laughs> that's another discussion. <laughs> um, there's a, and I, I heard this story, you know a story is true when you hear the same story about like five different Rebbes and five different, you know, from different camps, the same exact story. Right. But like, you know, the, the characters are different. Then, then you know that at least, the, at least the story is like around. And so this is the way I heard it. That, that's all I can say. I'm sure I'm going to get, oh, they don't know it was really this way. And this, he said this. And that. Yeah. This is the way I heard it. And I had just a, whew, like I still like get goosebumps when I think about it. There's a story about, and I'm sure Menachem, you've heard that you're, you're, you're a guru with all these, these, these stories. I'm obsessed with stories. Yeah. Uh, so at least I'm not going to impress you. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, so the story that I heard was that um, there, was a, there was a wedding, and, and by, by Hasidim, there's this thing called the mitzvah tans, which is like, to me, it's still like, it's, it's such an interesting thing where, like, you have what's called a batchan, who's like very loosely translated as, let's say, a spiritual comedian. You know, I'm not sure. And his point at the end of the wedding, like at the end, 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 like at midnight, when like the the party's basically finished, the the spiritual or or the height of the spiritual celebration of this new couple begins with this very interesting, like uh, a combination of the, the chassid and kala dancing you know, like together and the different uh, members of the family or the rabbis dancing, you know, holding one side of a gartel, of like a, I guess, uh, explain what a gartel is. Like a belt. Uh, like a belt. Yeah. So they don't, you know, they don't touch each other. And and they dance together and there's certain specific songs that you sing. And there's a batchan, this, this guy who's supposed to make everybody laugh in a very good mood, but it's rooted in like spiritual, like, Things I'm not again. I'm not exactly sure how to describe it because I didn't grow up with it, so I don't really know it. But a part of it is routine, is to is to poke a little bit here and there and make fun, whatever it is. And so there was one wedding that the Satmar Rebbe was there at this wedding. I see you smiling. You I know love this story. It's one of my favorite stories in the whole world. And um, so the way the way the way I heard it was that the. I guess the Rebbe knew that part of this Batchan's routine was like to kind of like poke fun at the Rebbe, how he davens, how he prays, a certain movements, but all, all in good spirit. But like 
if the Rebbe's there, you know you're not doing any of that stuff. Like that, that'll be like, you know, you're cutting yourself off from like any, ever having a gig again. So the Sam Rebbe went up to him and said to him, like, please make sure you do whatever you have to do because don't, don't take me into consideration over here. Do, do your thing, do your skit. He's like, Rebbe, I can't. Do your thing, Chasenka. So he started doing it, and he very lightly, he imitated how the, how, how the Satmar Rebbe uh, davens, I guess, um, davens in a certain way, moved his body in a certain way. From the corner of the eye, he sees this, that, that the Rebbe's crying on the side. He's like, oh, gosh, like, I knew I shouldn't have. So he went over to him, and he said, no, no, you did, you, you did great. So Rebbe said, why are you crying? I, I even like choke up when I when I when I think about this. Like he said, when I saw you imitating the Satmarav, I realized that sometimes I also imitate the Satmarav. It's beautiful. I'm like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> like literally, I needed like I couldn't I, I couldn't move after I heard that myself. Lahavdil, but at the same same time, like me as a somebody who does perform and does on a certain level I'm conscious to the crowd's reaction to my performances and at the same time I'm also a person who strives to be pneumistic who try, strives to be honest authentic authentic good yeah. thank you that Misa that story like really messed me up for a long time <laughs> because every time I came to sing I was like in my head I'm like wait are you just imitating it <laughs> is this tonight's chuppah or is this last night's chuppah is this, you know, 1,700 times after I sang Lamancha for the first time, like, is, the, is tonight's Lamancha the same as, as uh, like, 200 times ago? Right. Is it? So, if part of the process of this kind of story affecting you is that it messes you up for a while, then I'll take it. Right. Because it really, it really gave me a sense of, like, of uh, this rigorous honesty that can be so can give you such freedom in a weird way because like like you always want to be and you know what also Menachem like if let's say if let's say today's Lamancha or today's performance today's Chopa is really two weeks ago mm -hmm. that's also okay meaning if you're putting on a show as if like today I mean you don't want to <laughs> announce that on the speakers like hey everybody I'm not inspired today I'm just gonna you know perform last week's uh, inspiration that's silly but for you as a growing for me as a growing person to like notice that like okay it's not it's not uh, thank god you have what to, what to, what to give to them and it's okay if you're not like on your a level every single night so you're saying the an aspect of the authenticity is not self not deluding yourself yeah that that you're not drawing from old inspiration or trying to emulate your own your own best self. Yeah. Right? The 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 lack of authenticity would be the unawareness of that. Exactly. Right? Exactly. I mean on on the Satmarebi's level, the 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 authenticity is like, you know, I gotta do better no matter what. Right. Like, for me, it's like, yes, I have to do better, but the first level, like you're saying, is the awareness that this even exists. Right. And I really feel that, that, that you know, and, and, it's, and it's everything. Like, you know, in, in Armenian, in Farakaway, we, we say, like, we, ha we have these moments where, we, where, where we're davening, and it's so, 
it's so real and it's so like I mean not 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 just there everywhere you, you can and uh, let's put it like this it's my profession I know how to do it I know how to push like the buttons on people to like get into it you know I don't like to say it that way but like I know what to do I know how to sing a certain song this way that way what harmony to do I know and just because I know that doesn't mean it's not authentic you know what I'm saying? It's like... Because it's in your motive. Yeah. Yeah. So, exactly. It's really, it's really complicated. It's really confusing because, you know, I'll, I'll be standing there by most of it. I'm screaming, Right? Mamish, like, getting so into it. And last Shabbos was the same. But, like, no, no, no. Those feelings that are inside of you are real. And even if it was the same last week, don't let the Yetzirah, like, you know, the evil inclination and, and all those thoughts, you know. The self-doubt. In this the, moment. It's that, real. It's right. real. Because, you know, that's. That skeptical, sarcastic voice oh, in your head that says that it's not yeah, real. Yeah. He's my best friend. And my worst enemy <laughs> at the same time. You know, that sarcasm. So that, that, that story was like, I'll just never forget the impact it had on me. It still has, you know, I mean, today. Wow. Yeah. Wow. I, uh, you know, each of these episodes has their own like little theme. Yeah. And it seems like we're building a theme already. I'm not even surprised or shocked at all. Um, <laughs> because I, I think it, uh, it captures, uh, something that you think about so often in terms of wanting to be authentic and then grappling with even the branding thing, the father thing that, right. Being real, giving each person. Cause you and I have had those conversations. It's funny. Not everyone I interview have had these like, ongoing conversations with, but you and I have had those conversations. I, I have similar experiences. You know, I, I'll run these like weekend events and like sometimes we do the same thing every time. Right? And we do this four times a year. So like it's easy to almost kind of mail it in because you know it works, but then when you mail it in, it doesn't, it doesn't get, you don't get that same feeling. And yet you can do the same thing and not be mailing it in yeah. and be authentically there and really kind of show up and be present and not, um, I guess there's like performance art versus performing, like showing up and performing as a great athlete or like really giving it all. So that's, uh, those are really, um, it's, it, it, it makes sense that those would be prominent in your, in your life. Yeah. So on, on the plane of time, I asked you to think about, you know, you talked about growing up in Los Angeles and then moving to Israel and then back to Los Angeles to finish high school and then, you know, coming to New York and all the, all these different journeys that you've been in. So I asked you to think about an episode in your life, something that happened in your life um, that gave you a sense of hope or a permission to be optimistic or to be hopeful or to be, um, to feel like there was light. And, and, and I would imagine there had to be something because you can't bring other people light unless you have your own light. Yes. <laughs> yeah, that was to be honest. That was uh, that was a rough one. This question, I don't know why. Every um, this one, everyone has a hard time with. Really? Yeah. Okay, good. So I don't feel as bad. <laughs> <laughs> I'm thinking, like, am I that dull of a person that I can't think of an inspiring <laughs> moment? Okay, so I got married when I was 21 in August, and I turned I turned 22 in September, uh, right before Yom Kippur, and that. First year for, this is 2004. So those two years before that, I used to come to Ish Kodesh and Woodmere and Lugbomer 
every every year. For, oh, not every year, for two years. Not, now I say every year, but two years, I came and I did the music for that, which was like the beginning of like my just life changing events and thoughts and and just like with with Rabbi Weinberger Shlita. And they asked me to come and daven Yom Kippur Shachris in the shul. I was living in Maryland, and I said no because like I'm a little I'm a little pressure. I'm 20 22 years old. I mean I've never done it before, and I I just gotten married, and I was like like how you know? And I said no. And they asked me again. Again, this is like within like a month, like after I got married, and I asked my Rosh Hashiva Rabbi Lapiansky at the time. Well, not at the time. He's still Rosh Hashiva. Um, and he told me to do it. He told me to do it. And I went, and I'll just tell you, like, and I was very nervous, but I, I guess I did a good job. And I put, you know, after, after Shachris, you know, you go up to the bima, you put the Sefer Torah down on the bima, and then you walk back to your spot. And I passed Rebbe on the way, and he, and he put his hand out to me, and he said two words, which, like, again, I get, like, the, I don't know, I guess get emotional thinking about it. He said, he looked at me, he said, Kazakin Viragil, which translated as, you know, Zakin is like old and wise and Viragil and like a, like this is, it looks like you've been doing this forever kind of thing. It's the words we use when, when the, the Chazin from Musaf gets up and he has this whole prayer of like basically like, Hashem, please accept my, my job as the Shliach, the messenger of the, of the Tzibur, as the, you know, and he says, you know, please allow allow you to hear my voice as if I was a zakain viragil, as if I was like an old wise person who's been doing this forever. And Rav Weinberger, in his, you know, he has the best words ever. <laughs> you know, he has the best spiritual vocabulary you can ever ask for. And you know, Baruch Hashem, like again, I say this humbly. I probably have gotten like a hundred million ashikochs in the past thirty years. You know, from mm-hmm. everything I've been doing since I'm a little kid. And while they're all meaningful. And I really mean that. It really is. When he said those two words, the Kazak and Viragil, it kind of gave me like, uh, not to get too deep or too intense about this, but like it kind of gave me hope to know that I might possess an ability that is beyond my years. And, and that's okay. Because that's the way Hashem created me. Mm. Like I don't know, and I, and I say this in a, I, I don't have to say a thousand times humbly because this is a humble you know, environment, environment, but like th- there aren't too many people that, 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 that I know that are 21, 22 that, that can go up and dive in for the Ahmed and Ish Kodesh and 500 people with Ruff Weinberger there. You know, there are people who, who are very capable and whatever it is. But when he said that to me, like it made me feel like, all right, that I really feel that was like the beginning of like, all right, I'm going to, I'm going to do this. I'm going to, I'm going to take what Hashem gave me, my ability to, inspire and, and to daven and to perform and all this stuff and I'm going to remember that, that there's a Rebbe out there rooting for me that like gave me that koach so I guess if that's something you know jumps out at me as like hope wise. There's something super powerful about that. Uh, two things really that jump out at me first of all, I have to remember both for, first of all, it seems to me like what was something that was so powerful about that for you is that he he was finding a way to communicate to you that he knew what was going through your mind. Like if he said Yashar Koach or, you know, a great job, gave you a pat on the back, you know, it wouldn't have had the same impact. But the fact great. that he, yeah, it would feel great, right? Like, of course. You're right. But he, he had a sense of what was going on for you emotionally and he used the right words to 
Because he knew I turned it down in the beginning. I, he, he knew that I, was, I didn't feel ready. I didn't. Right. Sometimes the sensitive insight of mentors saying the right thing at the right moment, or a human being knowing that I've been understood or I've been heard. Someone gets what I'm talking about, mm -hmm. you know. So that's very, very special in that story. The other thing that's really special is that it seems to me like part of what Rav Weinberger was doing for you was uh, he was giving you an affirmation, which gave you permission to be you. You know, which really connects back with everything we've been talking about, which is like, is it okay for me to be Eitan Katz? You're a talented guy, right? You're not an untalented guy, you know, and you're a guy that tries to be both own your talent, but also be humble and be regular and be normal and sit and chill and have a coffee and be down to earth. And those, both of those things are important to you. And that's part of what makes you who you are and, you know, why I'll hang out with you. And, uh... <laughs> No, but uh, on a serious note, like it's, I feel like uh, when someone gets permission to be excellent, to be themselves, to own their talent, and to not hide their talent, to no longer, to feel like it's not humble, to admit that I was given gifts and I get to share those gifts. Yeah. That's a, it's a very special thing. It's, it's um, yeah, as you kind of like, you know, say that, kind of like, I guess, you know, reflect on what I said, and that's, I, I'm very much connecting to that, you know? Yeah. Because I find that a lot in life, you know, like we don't, I don't give myself any minuchas nefesh with regards to like the level of authenticity and levels. I mean, I beat myself over the head. That, that's my, that's my, that's the regular. That's my, uh, what's it called? That, that, that's, a, that's status quo. Modus operandi. That was the I word you wrote? Yeah. Anyway, whatever. whatever. You're so much smarter Status than quo. Like, no, it's just a word. Stop it. I just play guitar. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. And like, uh. I just it's, it's, it's have to have a Rebbe like that, it's, and it's such a. You're so right. He wasn't just giving, giving a yeah, oh good job, you know. Yeah, I mean you can get super mystical, and maybe he like literally implanted something. Hey, I wouldn't be surprised. <laughs> if that's, that's, I wouldn't be surprised. What's going on? But uh, but uh, I mean, there's no doubt you were talented before that because. Uh, <laughs> but uh, maybe maybe that uh, took it to a new level. I don't know. Who knows? So. Um, Okay, so now we got to know you a little bit, and now we want to get to know you on maybe more of a practical level. Um, you know, you're someone that um, you strive for authenticity, and you're 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 a good, authentic person, and you strive to be a servant of God and to be a good father and a good husband, and uh, and you also strive to be uh, a musician and an artist, and in that you've achieved a lot of success. So try to pick your brain a little bit. And uh, perhaps the rest of us can kind of learn from that excellence, uh, from that success. So I asked you to think about the first thing was like a daily habit, something you do on a regular basis that really you contributes to your success. And, I, and part of in the question was sometimes we have those obvious things, but then sometimes we have like little things that maybe even no one knows about. It's not secret. It's just like, it's my thing that I do, or it's, I thought it wouldn't be a big deal. And then it turned out to be a big deal. So it doesn't have to be one of those things, but they can be. So is there anything that you can point to that's simple and subtle, but has really made a difference to you on a daily basis to being you? Again, like the, 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 the answer is going to be a little bit like, uh, you know, boring, but like to me, I don't care. It's just, that's my answer. <laughs> there is no boring. Be authentic. Um, <laughs> yes, <go ahead. laughs> um, I'll tell you when I was in, uh, my, my journey in yeshiva, one of the biggest gifts that Hashem gave, not just me, but gave all of Am Yisrael, 
but especially me considering my soul and the makeup of my, you know, spiritual DNA. Learning Gemara, for me, is something that is, I, I can't, it, it's the grounding of all grounding. It makes me feel connected to the process. It makes me feel connected to Hashem, sometimes in a more meaningful way than the things that somehow in 2020 have become like, you know, the obvious things. The more mystical things or something. More mystical things, I guess, yeah. Yeah. And For those who don't know, so right, so Talmud, yeah, Gemara, yeah, right, Talmud, yeah, yeah. right, right. Just and 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 you'll correct me if I'm wrong, but part of what you're describing is, you know, part of the study of Talmud, Gemara, is kind of studying the the process by which a person breaks down spiritual texts, the Bible, the the Torah, and to really extrapolate and understand underlying primary principles. Exactly break down the laws, really understand a cognitive, psychological, but not just psychological, but also a structure of how to think and how to break things down. Exactly. It's, a, it's a legal um, structure. But with a, yeah, but with a completely spiritual foundation. Right, right, right. So That's great. Like, I'm happy you said that. It's, 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 uh, and to see like when you have like, a disagreement between two, two like, of the rabbis, like, to know like, what each person thinks. Like not just what he says, but what's what's motivating him to say that right, and to really break it down it's, underneath. It's, it's a never and to really, ending process, right? To be able to be grounded in in the pursuit of knowledge is is such a is the the only thing I will say that keeps me. It's it's like it's like you can't everything else to me, and and there is so much else as we as 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 you know as I know. If you don't. You know, I'll tell you a story. Like somebody, somebody once went to Reb Shlomo Karabach and they had a wedding. He was like a 17-year-old, 18-year-old bacher in yeshiva in Eretz He was at a wedding and he asked him, and he asked him, no, when, uh, when can I leave yeshiva? I want to become a musician. And, you know, Reb Shlomo, the, 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 the answer that you would expect from him is not this, but to those who know, like, you know, Reb Shlomo, it makes sense, but like, not that I know, but like, he said, you know, you don't leave, you know, you don't leave yeshiva until you have Gemara Rashi Taishos in your kishkas. That's what he said to him. So what you're saying is, and to, to bring it down to maybe a, a broader space that, that might be applicable maybe to someone that doesn't learn Gemara, yeah. or doesn't feel comfortable in that sphere. But what you're saying is for, for you as an artist, for you as a musician, and, and oftentimes we see artists, um, people with artistic talent, people with artistic expression, they're more ethereal, they're, more myst- they're drawn oftentimes towards the more mystical, the less grounded. But for you in your life, having that space of being grounded, of being, again, authentically connected to your spiritual heritage, to being in a way that's really driving towards the truth, not what makes me feel good, not what makes me feel inspired on a given moment in a given day, not to be chasing life. I think the word inspiration is the most... Is such a dangerous word these days because it could be ungrounded and un- unanchored. I mean, yeah, obviously it means it, it has it means good thing, but I feel like the way it's being used nowadays, where like inspiring is just it's it's just like the instant gratification you get at a moment from, and that's inspiration. That's just not true, right? And I've I learned that the hard way, and I not learned I'm I learn it the hard way because this is what I do for a living. I come and give you a spiritual massage. By singing for you a little bit, and then, but that—that's not really what I what I 
stand for as a father, what I'm trying to teach my children, what I'm trying to teach myself, what I'm, whenever I have a chance to, to speak to, to people about, you know, Torah and about, you know, ways of life, like, like the, the, the Nagunim and the Kumsit, that comes like just, it could be not, not chronologically, like not in the order of the day. Like, like I, I have a dream that like my, like the yeshiva that I'm of course going to start and, and you'll be the Rosh Yeshiva Menachem and I'll be like the Mashgiach, whatever. Right, and involve big trouble, right. yeah. <laughs> like my dream is to like, a hundred guys in, in, in the base medrash in the study hall make a big bang in the bima and we all sing as loud as we can for a minute and then do not pick your head out of the gemara for four hours straight and then after four hours make another clap and again like just like to have both worlds like so like connected and that's really that's not a chiddush like that's that's not I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, this isn't like new. I feel like, I feel like this is the way it's. Well, this is be, your, you know? well, I mean, again, we're talking about your. <laughs> My experience. Sex, your experience, your success, what you're bringing to the table. And what you're saying is for a guy that's very involved, it, it, that's involved in the business of inspiration for a person that's oriented towards the musical, having that aspect in your life, having uh, Gemara, Talmud study in your life. What is an anchor that draws you back down to a place of truth and authenticity and realness and intensity, but not intensity that's that's flippant or not sustainable, but rather something that's that's orderly. And it, it, it makes a lot of sense. It's the most orderly thing. But 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 I think that that's a really powerful message for other people to realize, especially people that are budding artists. Right? Don't allow yourself to be ungrounded to be unanchored right anchor yourself in something that has a realness to it and allows you to learn how to think straight because you can become i know this from just from my vantage point you can become so lost in the artistic process oh. you and 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 then suddenly you're thinking you know it's like uh it's like dumbo you know in the 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 elephants and the you know in the you know the, the, that part in dumbo in the movie I just know what Dumbo is. Okay, you don't know. Okay, I, a, I don't remember the movie. There's a part where he drinks soapy water that has beer in it, and he starts to like trip. And uh, not that you know what that is, right? But he starts to have visions of <laughs> of elephants floating in the air. Like he just like starts to have this whole, and he's like lost in all sorts of in another in another universe. You basically, defined what being a musician is. Exactly. <laughs> 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 and, and I want to just say one more thing about this. This yeah. is coming from somebody who tried to convince his Rebbe to let him not learn Gemara because I sing. Right. Because that's not you, because really you're had, a musician. Like, I went to my Rebbe, I said to him, why do I have to learn Gemara? Like, I sing, and I get so connected to Hashem through my singing. And I think the godless of that, the, the greatness of that specific Rebbe is that he didn't laugh right. when I said that. But he smirked a little bit. But, like, it's gotten to a point where through the right way of, of doing this and discussing and, and figuring this out, you could reach tremendous levels of closeness to Hashem just from looking at a machlokas between Abai and Rava. You really can. I mean, that's what you found. You found that, found that exactly. you can find a relationship with your, with, with your higher power, with God, with who you know to be yeah. the truth of the divinity that's within you. Outside of the mystical... Outside of that mystical space, yes, exactly. right? You can even find it, not even, maybe even more find it in that space that's maybe yeah. more technical, yeah. that seems like you would be drawing it away from the mystical. And it feels like it the makes mystical. the mystical that much greater. That much greater. 
Wow. Okay, so I asked you to think about one thing about one relationship that makes that relationship special, makes that relationship work. And what are the things you do to foster that? I think that the relationship between a parent and child, uh, for me, as a father of six healthy, beautiful, thank God, children, and a wife who really is the CEO of the operations. In the, let me just tell you, like, you know, I was, on, I was at my favorite place in the world, which is uh, Trader Joe's, a couple of weeks ago, a couple of months ago. And I, I filled up, you know, the shopping carts, Baruch Hashem, you know, a big family, like totally filled the shopping cart. And I went to pay. And, I, you know, everyone's like obviously so nice there at Trader Joe's. Mm. And the, the nicest. The nicest. It's like just you have to be the nicest person to work there. And I always, you know, chat up. And this very nice man, we were talking. And he's like, whoa, that's a lot of stuff. You know, I was like, yeah, I have a big family. I have a bunch of kids, thank God. So I said to him, Oh, do you have a family? He says, yeah. I was like, oh, how many kids do you have? And he looked at me and he said, no, no, no. I have a chihuahua. <laughs> and I, I'm laughing because like, don't get me wrong, your chihuahua is great. And I'm, I'm sure it's a relationship that you, it means something to you. And I'm not, I'm not, I'm not just, I'm not like, you know, I'm not doubting that and I'm not, uh, you know, poking at it. But do you, like, once you have a child you have to like take care of on a level where you see you see that they have nothing besides you as a parent like the child looks at you like that's there's nothing i don't the child doesn't understand what god is the child doesn't understand how the world works they only know one thing the only thing i have in my life is my parent and when you kind of like see your when when the when as a parent you look at your child like that the what that does to you you're not a musician anymore you're not a singer. No one cares about any of that stuff on the outside. Right now, you are giving care to a life. And for me personally, I never really understood how... I mean, I never really understood, but the real understanding of Hashem's relationship with us, God's relationship with us, if God says that we're, like, you're my children, like, you don't really understand, like, how much... You are dependent upon God until you like you see your child dependent upon you. Wow. And that was that's uh I guess and out of all the relationships I have, like with children, it's like every single day you have to like really just put your own needs, your put yourself aside and just like give to your children. Wow. Not to knock the guy at Trader Joe's. I love you if you're listening. Just, <laughs> but, but but it's true. No, like, but what what's fascinating, and again, it's all it's all theme thematic, and that's how all these interviews go, which is been the most interesting part of this yeah is that one of the most special relationships for you is your relationship with your children as a father and part of the reason why and this is just me interpreting what you were saying um so if i if i'm misinterpreting you'll tell me but is first of all it teaches you about your own uh dependency in a good way not a bad dependency i'm using the business of bad dependencies right but <laughs> but, but it, it, it a good dependency, a reliance upon God, upon the world, upon other people, right? Because you're, you're literally watching another human being in an abject space of dependency and reliance. But even more so, for you, for a person, for a guy, for a performer that's seeking authenticity, that is a relationship where none of that stuff matters. Exactly. The performance is not there. So it sounds to me like in a certain way, just to kind of jump on some of the other answers that you gave, like your kids are that anchor for you. That keeps you grounded in that space of being Abba and not Ethan Katz. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Absolutely. That's very special. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So um, 
So part of life, we'll combine the last two questions, which often happens. So uh, part of life is, uh, first of all, it's funny because this question we've been, you said this to me in the beginning. This is the whole, this has been the whole thing, right? Which is like, you're up, you're on stage, you're doing your thing and you're grooving. And how do you stay grounded? That was one question. But then also, how do you, how do you face tough times? Like, how, what do you do when you're not feeling it? Or what do you do? I'm sure part of performing or doing really well is waking up with that emotional hangover uh, the next day. So what are, what are some of the steps you take to remain grounded and to face challenging times? Good friends, which really like maybe one or two, you know, that uh, like, like you can imagine, it's, it's not, you know, there aren't too many people out there that'll view me completely like separate, you know, really like just view me like with no, with no other perception. Um, friends that, you know, I think like one friend I have is my wife, you know, my wife is, is always there that I can, that I can like look back at and be like, oh, this is, this, this is, this is what it means to live a normal, <laughs> a normal life. Yeah. 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 She's, she's like, you know, holding the banner of, hey, normalcy, come back, you know, right here, you can come to me and I'll, and I'll show you how to be, you know, normal, you know, and, and, uh, mm. and she's, uh. I mean, without with this, this isn't me like thanking my wife at the end of an interview. This is like an act, like the real answer to this question. Right. <laughs> the real answer to the question is that like without without her, without my wife, I would I would not have been able to. The word grounded wouldn't mean anything. The word grounded would only be another word I would use in my performance to show people how cool I am. You know, oh, mm. come grounded. It's not. It wouldn't be true. So to have like you know my wife or Hashem over the years has like she's she's a complete she's a, she works harder than I'll ever work in my life and you know she's at home with 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 raising the kids and and it's a blessing that she's home and she just she's you know she's interested in the career of motherhood and sometimes it's hard because sometimes like she's not interested at all in the. Eitan Katz thing. And here I am being like, you know, thanked and clapping for thousands of people and this and that, whatever. And then I, I'm coming home like, okay, change the diaper right now. <laughs> you right. know, like, it's, and, and, you know, it's hard sometimes and she can, you know, she'll talk to you about that stuff. But uh, um, really, you know, friendships. Friendships, like whether it's your wife or it's another friend, that's, that's you know, even, even I would say like a Rebbe, but like, like Rev Weinberger, God forbid, I should never say he's my friend, but he, but he's in tune to me, like a friend should be in tune with a friend. And his knowledge and his, you know, hadracha and support, it's not just like a, a Rebbe Talmud thing. Like he really, like, I feel like he loves me, you know? Yeah. It's one of the things that's very special. I want to comment back on the thing you said about your wife, but... yeah. One of the very special things about Rob Weinberger, it's, it's very unique. It's incredibly unique. I don't think I've experienced it anywhere else ever where he comes down to your level. Like you really feel like you're talking yeah. to a friend and yet there's never a loss of reverence. Like I'm never not nervous yeah. and yet I feel comfortable. Like I feel at home I can say anything and yet I'm still aware, acutely aware that I'm in the, I'm in the presence of something that's great. It's you know, you know I walk out of there and every time every time I'm I'm with him, even if I'm talking to him on the phone, right? Which I'm not often with him in in, in but 
in the in the in the in the few times that I've had the opportunity to spend 45 minutes with him and, and it's just like days after I'm just like one of one of Rebbe's biggest ended up being his his mechotanim uh, Shemi Klein yeah so, so just, just quickly so the process when, when their kids were engaged and like, this is a person who's been by Rebbe since from the beginning right so they went out for dinner once like to to discuss like the 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 wedding and stuff like that right so the Rebbeson said said to them it's like okay. For right now, this is Moish, and I'm Myrna. This is the, that their names. <laughs> right. And that's the way we're going to interact right now. And he said he literally burst out laughing. Right. Like, that's impossible. That'll never, ever, 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 ever be like that, you know? Wow. But at the same time, like, yes, like, Ravi sent me messages of chizik and love and support and, you know? It's unbelievable. Yeah. Anyway, so you said about your wife, which is, first of all, remarkable that you talked about uh, people, friends, relying on other people to keep you grounded, to help you face dark moments. Um, and then that you described your wife as your friend, which I, th- I think is, that's my experience as well. It's a very, very vital, it's not the entirety of a marriage. I think if it was the entirety of a marriage, it would be complicated. But when that component is there, when there's a sense of friendship, it's very, very special. Um, but also the awareness that like, and similar to what you said about your kids, like, you're not your external excellent self, right? When you're at home in that relationship. And sometimes you want that to be, you know, like I, I asked, I asked my daughter today, like, oh, well, which, which episodes have you listened to of the podcast? Which is like such a small thing. Cause like, it's a silly <laughs> podcast that I'm doing, you know, it's like, but and she's like, I don't listen to your podcast. <laughs> That's great. It's amazing. So, but it's, 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 first of all, it's very, it's humbling, it's grounding, but then at the same time, it's of course I don't want that to be. The, you don't want your wife to be your fan, yeah. right? I listen to your podcast, right? Oh, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> right, but but you don't you don't meaning of course you want your wife, your children, the people important to you to admire you, but to admire you in a different way than being your fan club, right? And and how allowing it be very easy, I think, um, to sell out in that way and take for granted the people that are kind of most important to you. A certain movie came to my mind now. I'm not going to talk about it. But but, but, uh, but I, I think in movies about music artists, this theme seems to come up very, very often where they have their primary bandmates or, you know, and, and then they, they lose sight of that and they get lost in the hype and the people that are most important to them, who it feels like they're holding them back, are the ones that they need the most. Uh, you're, you're basically describing, you know, the marital therapy of every single artist, <laughs> musician. That's, uh, you think that's, that's, that's how that plays oh out? Oh my gosh. I can't, I can't agree with you more. Because, you know, again, everybody has a right and should be completely devoted to their profession, regardless of what you do. Right. It happens to be that artists, especially, I don't know, again, I'm not an artist outside of music, so I don't, I don't know, but musicians, like, I, I create, creating music with a group of people is one of the most absolutely exhilarating, incredible experience that I can, des- I, I, I can't describe it as anything else, but just like, it's incredible. It's an incredible thing. But and that's not happening at home like that, 
Right. You know what I'm saying? Like, because A, your partner, your spouse may not be a musician at all. She might not be able to appreciate. I mean, my wife comes from a, a musical family, so she's, she's on the ball with all this stuff. But, but that process of like, you know, okay, I have an idea in mind and it's really in my soul. You know, it's coming from a very deep place and I strum a certain way. And the piece that I'm missing to get to that next level inside of me is someone else provides. And he plays the bass. And you have a violin player that interprets it this way, and you're like, oh my gosh, like, like that's the process of making music and making albums in general, which is like, you know, a big thing of what I do is like having the beginning, having just a thought. And then a month later, after everyone's contributed and collaborated, having this piece, which is like, oh my gosh, how did this happen? And it happens with other people. Mm. And that process, like, and then you, be, you know, but it's okay. So then, but, but how does that connect to the diaper that you have to change when you, when you get home? Right. You know? So it's like, is one more important than the other? Well, yes. Changing diapers is more important than, than making music. Right. You know, like I used to not think that, <laughs> you know, I used to, or I used to not be able to say that. Yes. Being home with your family for Shabbos is more important than inspiring 5,000 people in, in the UK. You know, whatever it is. Oh, well, what do you mean? But every artist wants to be like, you know, international and out there. But you have to do it. If they, if they don't hire you, they can hire somebody else. Ah! You know, like that kind of like insanity that goes on in the head. If you're, Baruch Hashem, I've been blessed with a wife, community, and support to help me navigate through that incredible maze that I don't really think about so much. Like as the, the, way, the way you just put it. Um, you know, often the differences between my wife and I would be like, you know, oh, she's not. Oh, I'm gonna talk to my wife or not? So we'll edit this out. Whatever. <laughs> Too much already. But um, yeah. But that's that's really incredible. I never, I never, I don't, I don't think about that too much. That. As great as a process as making music is, and trust me, it's it's like ooh, you get up you get up on stage and you just like you're able to like disconnect from everybody looking at you and everybody and you're really like it's really happening. Something's happening, something's brewing. But then you know you you, you open up the Gemara and you realize you're nothing. <laughs> you know? <laughs> like you don't you don't you don't know how to read. <laughs> you know. Yeah. Uh, Eitan, it was amazing. That was fantastic. Thank you so much for joining us. It was incredible. God willing, God should bless you uh, mm. to one day play Eitan Katz perfectly. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Menachem. Thank All right, you. thanks. Thanks for listening to the Consciously Podcast. Consciously is a project of The Living Room, which is a division of Our Place New York, and made possible by the kindness of the Capellius family, in memory of Tzipora Basravaron. The host of Consciously is Menachem Posnansky, and produced by Chaim Cohn. If you've enjoyed this podcast, you can give us a review on Apple Podcasts, and subscribe on Apple, Google, Spotify, or Stitcher or wherever else you get your podcast. We sincerely welcome and appreciate your feedback, so please feel free to email us at consciously62 at gmail.com or on our Instagram and Facebook pages. Mm-hmm.